You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So here we are on our last sermon of our summer series. Next week, we'll be embarking upon a long but I think worthwhile trek through the glorious book of beginnings. Can you guess what that is? It ain't Revelation. It's the book of Genesis. Can I hear a amen to that? Yeah. But today, I'm not planning on introducing another aspect of the table. You guys are probably thinking, I, 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 there's so many things I need to work on already. Instead, I want to address an issue I believe the Lord has stirred up in my heart this past week as I prayed over what to speak on. And I believe that many here have a problem with their own faith. With their own faith. Not so much a problem with other people. The person next to you, no, it's, it's with yourself. I got my own issues here. I believe that the table that we've been setting up all summer, perhaps, is a table that even you would be, you feel ashamed of sitting in sitting at yourself. Maybe you're willing to extend grace to other people. Maybe you're willing to forgive other people, but you're not willing to extend grace upon yourself or even forgive yourself. You can't even fathom why God would even forgive you. Maybe you're good about loving other people and being poor in compassion towards other people, but I don't know if I can love myself. In fact, I don't know how God or why God would love a person like me. And in that same vein, perhaps if anything, some of you envy the experiences that others have had. How come he or she has experienced these supernatural encounters by the Holy Spirit? How come, man, when they worship and they raise their hands up, their tears stream down their face, and I'm just kind of stoically standing next to them thinking, why aren't I moved? As people are sharing the word and talking about their week, they're talking about how God was doing this, how God was doing that. whole time I'm thinking, man, I, I tried reading, I tried praying, but I'm just feeling nothing from him. Maybe right now, you're battling unbelief. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that you haven't given your life to the Lord. But for some reason, perhaps, perhaps because of sin, perhaps because of stress, perhaps because of the hundred different type of emotions and issues and feelings and circumstances, it's just kind of hard for you to take a step forward in faith. Maybe that's you today. I'm going to tell you all something here today. I'm a weak guy. I'm a fallen guy. I'm not any smarter than you. I'm not any more talented than you. I'm not any more righteous than you. I remember a few weeks back after the testimonies. You've heard the testimonies of baptism and of Peru missions and domestic missions and all those wonderful, brave brothers and sisters who stood up here and gave their testimony. Well, after one of the Sundays, uh, an individual came up to me and said, Pastor David, I was so nervous. I was shaking. My hands were shaking. My voice was shaking. And I said, you did a great job. And they said, no, I was shaking. I was so nervous. But I'm, I'm excited. But I was so nervous. Pastor David, how do you do it every week? And I said, because I have a gift. No, of course not. I said, look, I'm, in, I'm as introverted and quiet and self-conscious as the next guy. If you, if you saw the guy that I was 10 years ago, you'd probably think, dude, don't quit your day job. 
But people had this absurd idea that the pastorate are for those who are untouchable, unshakable, super holy, super smart, super everything. And if you think that, I think you're mistaking us for God. Do you know why, let me ask you, do you know why our EM ministry has turned around and is growing spiritually with committed members? Do you know why, if anything, for me personally, that my sermons have gone to where they're at right now? Do you know why our members are growing spiritually and stepping out of their comfort zones and challenging one another to grow? Do you know why, in any sense of the word, we're keeping our heads afloat, if not flourishing? It's because God has surrounded me and because God has surrounded you. And he has surrounded you with people who are praying for you. The people around you not only pray for you, but they also push you to keep pressing on, to keep fighting on, and keep fighting fight. They will get in your face. They will give you a swift kick in the butt. They will speak words of grace. And they'll sometimes just be a shoulder for you to cry on. But you see, in order for all of us who are fighting unbelief by ourselves, if you're fighting against the difficulties of spiritual limbo, if you will, we need, get this, we need and we must depend on our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. I need you to help me. I need you to pray for me. And you need me to pray for you. Amen? Amen. You were never meant to do this Christian journey life alone, and you certainly cannot battle your unbelief alone. You know, when Grace and I first got married, it really dawned on us how independent we've been. Look, I knew the biblical mandate of, for marriage and all the spiritual and biblical support for marriage and of marriage. But practically speaking, practically speaking, I thought I did not need marriage. Now, this is going to sound super chauvinistic, but bear with me, okay? Because growing up, I was really immature and still am. But I was a goofball thinking I figured everything out. So practically speaking, I thought, I don't need a wife. I don't need to get married. I can cook. I can clean. I wasn't emotionally needy. I didn't long for someone during Valentine's Day when I see all the roses and red things out there. I wasn't longing for someone during the Christmas holidays hoping that I could snuggle and get warm and all that. No, I was fine the way I was. I was happy the way I was. And my wife, she was also raised to be super independent too. She, she left her home of the South where her parents were church planners. She got herself up to D.C. To, to get a full ride in college. She got herself entered into medical school. She got herself entered or in, uh, in the Navy. She got herself through it all. She got herself to travel around the world. She got deployed and she got all that while saying, I don't need a man, I don't need a man. So here you have two different people, two very independent people, thinking they don't need each other, thrown into a marriage for each other. Could we both survive separate, living alone, independently? Sure. But what I've learned as a man who didn't need no woman, and for Grace who didn't need no man, like I don't need her to make a meal for me. Sure. And she doesn't need me to check the oil in her car. Sure. I don't need her to do my laundry for me. And she doesn't need me to carry in the groceries. But I realized that I did have a need that has been neglected because I was without spiritual community for so long. I needed her for the sake of my spirit, and she needed me for hers. Folks, I understand that you may not feel like you need those around you. But let me tell you all something. Like, I know you have friends at work you can hang out with. 
I know you have family members you can vacation with. I know you have old childhood friends who are so close you can veg out and Netflix binge with. But what most of you do not have is a spiritual community who will help you battle through the most important aspects of your life, the most important crucial part of your being, the most critical position of your identity, and that is your spirit. You don't have that right now. Now, how have I changed? How was I able to grow and mature? It's because I finally had people enter into my life and tell me like it is. I had people who were committed to praying for me. For those of you who knew me way back when, if I have changed in any way for the better, no matter how incremental those changes are, I thank God that you prayed for me. So thank you. I didn't just naturally develop on my own. No, you prayed for my development. Thank you. I didn't just naturally mature. No, you prayed for my character and for my maturity. Thank you. And that's what intentional, well-meaning Christian brothers and sisters do for one another. We build each other in faith and we stir each other in love. Can I hear an amen? Because if we don't have each other, we'll quickly lose our zeal. We'll quickly lose our eagerness for the Lord and we'll quickly drift away from God and we'll quickly become hardened in the deceitfulness of the sin and we'll shipwreck our faith and we'll perish in unbelief like James chapter 5 says would happen if we do this on our own. We need to commit to a church marriage with one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, will you ecclesiastically marry me? So back to our text. Let me tell you something about Hebrews. It was written to Jewish converts, people who had been saved from the bondage of the law, the law that they couldn't even keep. These were rituals and demands of the law that that they all knew. And yet, knowing that about themselves, they're still torn between the freedom in Christ and the restrictions placed because of the law. And so... This audience were a group of people who were thinking about returning back to uh, to Judaism. They just couldn't let go of their old self. They couldn't let go of their old religion. They couldn't let go of their old methods, their old style, their old life. And some of these people who had committed to the Lord had actually are walking away from God, walking away from the church, and had gone back to their old ways. Does that sound like you today? One eye on the cross and one eye on the world. You know why we struggle with this constantly? Because it's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. The purpose of life is to glorify God, isn't it? It's to glorify the Lord. Why? Because God is God, He is perfect, and His glory and all things glorious are His to begin with. Amen. And yet the battle plan of Satan is not to directly attack God. He knows he can't touch him. Satan knows he can't do anything against to God. But what does Satan do? He attacks us by deceiving us. His desire is for us to seek after not the glory of God, but the glory of self. Satan wants to use us 
as an attempt to rob God of his glory. And when we struggle with unbelief, when we struggle with the world and not choose the cross, we're saying, I, God, I want to do what I want to do. I'm calling the shots from now on. I don't need anyone else. I don't care for the opinions of anyone else. I don't care for the thoughts of anyone else but my own. Because the only God I need is me. The only authority in my life is me. And the only truth I know is the truth that I want to believe in, and that is the truth that I say. I am God. And we're all susceptible to this. All of us. We want to live our own lives and say, God, beat it. Brothers and sisters, whether you're willing to admit this or not, but the fellow members around you, get this, the fellow members around you, your fellow brothers and sisters sitting side by side you, they have a role in your life. They have a role in your life because they have a role in your spiritual fight and you have a role in theirs. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have a role in your life. As we all prepare for the new life groups, you may not like everyone you're grouped in with, but don't think of it as a compatibility issue. Think of it as a spiritual necessity. If you're justified, meaning saved, remember justified, sanctified, and glorified. Very good. So after, after justification, you are now on the road of sanctification, meaning that the difficulties and the struggles and the suffering and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone, engaging with people outside of your clique and comfort, and to follow the Spirit rather than the flesh is what refines us, is what purifies us, it is what allows us to grow and to mature and to be more and more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. That is our aim, isn't it? To be more like Jesus. You know, Apostle Paul, who may or may not have written Hebrews, we're not sure on the authorship, but Apostle Paul even, he traveled with a team constantly. He was never a loner. It was either Barnabas or Silas or Timothy or Luke or Aristarchus or Mark or Epaphras or many other people who partnered with him on his journeys. And the one time Apostle Paul was forced to go to Athens alone, he was broken down and overwhelmed by the spiritual and evil forces there that he quickly sent word for Timothy to immediately come and to support him and be with him. So I want to share a few points just a couple from a couple verses here, 24 and 25. And this may sound a bit familiar since we've been talking about fellowship and church and community, but bear with me here. I want us to establish really what our role is here, what to expect of others, and what others expect of us as we fight unbelief together. Amen? So the first point is this, that we need to meet together. Duh. Say, duh. Meet verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. This is not an option. Say, this is not an option. It's a command. Now, I know some of you guys are squirming, and that's good. Get uncomfortable. This is a church where it's not too big to sneak off after the sermon, right? Because even if you're new, we may not know who you are or what you want, and you think you can sneak off, but what we do have our a very particular set of skills, skills we have acquired over a very long ministry. If you let us get to know you, that'll be the end of it. We won't look for you again. We will not pursue you. But if you don't, we will look for you. 
we will find you and we will, we will kiss you with a holy kiss. <laughs> Sometimes the most difficult part is to just leave your house and get into your car, isn't it? But once you're there, it's great. There's fellowship, there's worship, there's love, there's awesome times of prayer. I want you all to hold each other accountable to at least meet with one another and meet up for life group. Amen? That's the first one, meet each other. But the second point is really the same as the first, but there's a warning. Don't get into the habit of not meeting. Now, this point has a special stress. Just as meeting together can become a habit, a good habit, not meeting together at church, not meeting during life groups can also become a habit. Yeah, as I counsel college-bound students, many of them ask for prayer on which church to attend in their campus area and things like that. So I typically say this. They give me a list of options, this church, that church, this church, and that church. And I say, do you want to disappear or get plugged in? Do you want to serve or be served? Do you want to be comfortable or be challenged? Now, I have many college students and even EM adults who've created a pattern of attending, let's say, large churches, disappearing, not having any interaction, not having any community or accountability and that becomes a pattern for them. And as a result, they never allow their roots to get planted enough to grow. Maybe for some of us, we got into the habit of this particular night saying, no, this night is for sports night. This night is happy hour night. This night or this day is Netflix day. This day is where I get to sleep away the entire day habit. And we create these habits. And so when we obey this command to meet, what happens is we're forced to let go of something that we enjoy. Do you know what that's called? It's called making a sacrifice. In order to build a new and good habit, you must sacrifice an old and bad one. We need to make it a habit to meet. Don't get into the habit of not meeting. Amen? The third point is about being frequent and serious from verse 25. We need to increase our meetings as the day draws near. So what is the day that is drawing near? That's the day of Christ's second coming, the coming of the end of age. And what happens with each passing day here on earth as we draw near to the second advent of Christ? What is happening day to day as we continue on with life? Is the world getting better? No. Will wars begin to gradually cease? No. Will temptations gradually weaken its hold on you? No. Will persecution halt? No. As the day draws nearer, the activity of Satan will increase and will pose as a greater and increasing threat to your faith. He's getting bigger and stronger and a lot more serious. In fact, I read today in California that, more, that now there's a law that's being passed. Now, pastors and professional counselors are no longer allowed to counsel kids under the age of 18 against homosexuality or transgression. We are no longer, in California at least, and I think maybe New Jersey as well, allowed to say what the Bible says. Now sin is becoming legally protected. You know, the other day, my wife and I were sitting in bed with our two kids. Junior was nursing, and Ada and I were perusing through my Facebook newsfeed. She's always interested in in who my friends are. (laughs) And every time she would see um, a recognizable church member, she'd say, oh, it's auntie or uncle. In fact, she saw John Park, who was coming back from a wedding, and she goes, Uncle Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) So John and Jesse just know that you guys look alike. But, But then my wife, she turns to me, and she says, honey, 
What did we do before smartphones? I said, I don't know. <laughs> what did we do? Did we talk? I'm not sure. But here's the point. Distractions will increase, will it not? For those of you who are family people, well, you're all family people. For those of you who are moms and dads, isn't it hard to just get your kids' attention without using an iPad? Right? You know what happened the other day? I said, Ada came to me with an iPad and said, can you like, turn this on for me? Well, she didn't say that, but she, I knew what she was saying. And I said, no. And she just went crazy. I wish, I wish it would be something else like, you know, can I, can I take this time to pray, Dad? And I said, no, not right now. And she goes crazy for that. <laughs> Temptations to just dull the senses will increase. The accessibility of sinful things will increase. The acceptance of sin will increase. You will feel more and more and more inclined to pursue the things of the world instead of God as the day draws near. The flesh, there will be an increase for the flesh and a desire for the flesh every single day from this point on as the day draws near. What's the solution? We need to frequently, frequently meet for prayer and challenge one another as the state of our spirit is becoming more urgent and serious as we see the growing storm of evil and unholiness. If Satan and his demonic forces are increasing and equipping themselves and trying to gain greater leverage and greater power and authority in this world and in our lives, what are we doing? Pretending like it's not happening? Sitting back and staying farther away from church community, praying less, reading less of God's word, hearing less of the sermon. We need to advance, amen? amen. Let's get stronger, amen? amen? The fourth point is that we need to encourage one another in our meetings to love more and more and more. Verse 24 says that we need to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, our gatherings, they need to have a specific focus. Don't meet unintentionally. Don't just fellowship for the sake of having a few good laughs. Now, while talking and enjoying and things like that, that's fine, that's great. But understand that the superficial meetups can easily cover and can easily distract and cover over the spiritual needs that must be addressed. This verse, it gives us a clear goal that after our meetups, after our gatherings, after our life group, whatever, we will leave those meetings with more power to love. We will leave those meetings with more desire to love. We will leave those meetings with more understanding to love and more passion to do good works. In other words, let's leave these groups motivated. Let's leave these groups, let's leave the service just excited and passionate. I remember reading a fitness article. I don't know why. And it gave tips on how to do this or how to do that exercise. But I remember reading something that I've, I've heard before, but for some reason this, kind of st this, this really kind of struck a chord with me. It felt almost like sermonic, the way that this guy was ending it. it concluded the this guy concluded the article by saying, you can do all the right forms, all the right techniques, you can drink all the right supplements and have all the right diets, but it will, all be, for, it will, it will be all for nothing if you stop. Don't stop, never stop, keep going. When you're sick, do something light, but don't stop. If you're sore, focus on another muscle, but don't stop. If you're busy, then wake up earlier or go later, but whatever you do, at all costs, don't stop. And I was like, amen. 
In the same way, folks, keep going. When you're tired, don't stop. When you want to give up, don't stop. When you feel like there are no results in your life group, when you feel like people's lives aren't being transformed, when you see there isn't much change in your life, don't stop and encourage one another to do the same. When you meet, encourage one another, keep going, motivate them to keep going. But as a life group, as a church, we must never stop. Amen? And my last point actually goes back to verse 23, and that is we need to trust in the promises of God. Say trust in God's promise. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So how do we actually empower another person to keep going? How do we empower each other to love more and more? What is the source of, of this strength and love? It all comes from the belief in the promises of God. From God is the source. You see, we need to make sure that the greatest foundational truth that every life group member and every life group leader and every life group and church people, all these meetups, they need to be founded on is to trust and faith in God's unwavering promises. Like, God, you're here. And you are God. And you love us and you're not changing. And what is that? Well, we all enter into these with a set of expectations, don't we, when you go to life groups, when you come to church services? We expect certain things like to be healed or to be loved or to be discipled or to be known. It will be a long journey, but we can endure faithfully with the absolute certain knowledge that Jesus will keep his end of the bargain. You see, when Jesus saved us and he called us out of our sins, he promised us new life. New life. That is a promise. New life, John 10.10, 10. the thief comes only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promised us a home in heaven with, when life is over, guys. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may, also, you may be also. And lastly, he promises us that he will not fail to deliver anything and everything that he has already promised the children of God. We may come short in our commitment. We may come short in our faithfulness. We will stumble we will fall. But God, he tells us here in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never mess up. God will never, come, never fall short. Like, do you trust in the promises of God? If I did not have the promises of God, I would have absolutely nothing. Do you trust in the promises of God? I'm not talking about a theoretical understanding. I'm not talking about intellectually. But do you trust in God's word so much and so well that you're willing to obey his words? That you're willing to live according to his words? That you're willing, get this, that you're actually willing to surrender all the other worldly aspirations, all your own personal ambitions just to follow him? Are you willing to trust in his promises by walking the way of the cross? Brothers and sisters, here, here's how we end this. If you're dealing with unbelief, not only is it a sin, but it will give rise to even greater sins in your life. Because, you see, sin is the opposite of love. You can't do this on your own. Your battle requires, okay, the battle that you are in, it requires an army, not a lone ranger. 
and we're called to help each other battle unbelief. We must help each other fight the fight of faith. Amen? Your growth as a Christian is not when you find the perfect church, is not when you find the perfect spouse, is not when you find the perfect situation. That's never going to happen. No, we already have the perfect Savior who has given us the perfect gift of salvation by dying on the cross for us. Your growth, get this, and your spiritual maturity, get this, and your desire to develop and to grow into the Lord, it all begins not with Jesus, not with finding the perfect situation. You already have Christ, but it begins with your faithful commitment of others to you and your faithful commitment to those around you. It begins with commitment, faith that leads to trust in God's promises which will ultimately lead to an unwavering commitment. Brothers and sisters, if you actually want to grow in faith, the Lord knows, and you're already here. He's saying this, now do your part. Do your part and commit. Commit to one another. Encourage each other. Love each other. Support each other, and you will see the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to hear your word again. And we thank you that while it may seem to pursue the Christian life, it's almost impossible. Because there's this kind of ambiguous spiritual component to it. And we all expect some sort of crazy encounter. But no, Lord, you have said very clearly, for us to grow in our faith, we need each other. We need church. We need community. We need one another. Yeah, God, it may be difficult because we all have different personalities personalities and different characteristics and we come from different walks of life and different backgrounds but that's not even a secondary or third issue god there's we have you jesus you unite us you have brought us together by the blood shed on the cross the question that we have to ask ourselves now is how much do we want to grow how much are we willing to obey you and trust in your promises? And if you say, I'm willing to trust in you completely, then, brothers and sisters, we have only one choice to make, and that's to commit to the body of Christ. And when you invest in the people next to you, and when you live sacrificially, and when you pursue the things of God with one another, for one another, Oh, don't you see how God will work in your life? Don't you see the mountains that he will move in your life? Don't you see the freedom that he will give you from the struggles and from the sins of your life? Like I said, faith was never meant to be a private experience. I want to exhort and encourage and challenge you all Will you now walk side by side with one another? Step by step with each other.
the Lord has spoken. Take a moment and pray as we prepare for our last song.